You see, some people have a faith, but it does not rest on a very firm foundation. There's something underneath it, of course. They believe, but they are not sure what they believe, and they're certainly not very sure why they believe. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, sometimes we can build the foundation of our lives on good things, but unless it's built on the right thing, so we have a relationship with Christ, it's a faulty foundation? Yeah, that's right. And we really need a solid foundation. And that's why the history of the Gospels, the truth of the Bible, is so important. We're going to look at Thomas, a hugely important story in the New Testament. Here's this man. He's often criticized, you know, doubting Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. There you are. And unless I see, you know, the marks of the nails in his hands, I will not believe. Was that a good thing or a bad thing to say? That was a good thing to say. He's saying, I don't want any kind of vague, mystical kind of faith. I will only believe if there is solid evidence on which I can build my life. And I want to know what that evidence is. And Christian faith is never shy of that question. And that story is very significant for that reason. Jesus comes and says, look, here's the evidence. You put your finger in these nail prints and you put your fist into my side. So Jesus is actually commending Thomas. And we want, as those who are confident in the Bible, to say, look at this. It gives a solid foundation for your faith. With that, let's get into God's Word with the first part of Deficient Foundations. If you can, open your Bible at John chapter 20. Here's Pastor Colin. This morning we come to the third in our series, Faith with Questions, dealing with the darkness of doubt, and we're discovering that doubt is really a many-headed monster. It can take uh, different forms and takes root in our lives in different circumstances and situations. I want to remind you that as we go through these eight different heads, as it were, of this monster, uh, we're really constructing some diagnostic tests, rather like when you go to the doctor, he'll run some tests to find out what it is that's wrong with you. As we move through each of these areas in which Satan, our enemy, can gain an advantage over us through a doubt, we're asking the question, is this something that I can see happening in me? And uh, if it's not, remember this possibility that God may use you to help someone for whom this is precisely the problem, someone you may even have a conversation with today or this week. Now, we've identified two particular forms of doubt or spheres in which it grows. We started with defective memory. That is when we forget to remember the goodness of God. And simply by neglecting this ministry of thanksgiving, we end up with a sense of the distance of God and it becomes a seedbed of doubt. Then we saw last time that doubt can grow because of distorted pictures. That is when we carry within our minds an image of God that is not corresponding to the truth, but is distorted for some reason within our own minds and within our own thinking. Now, this morning we come to a third, very different variety of doubt, and it is one that thrives where faith rests on deficient foundations. Now, thinking about this last week, my mind went back to one of my own earliest experiences of sitting in church as a child in Edinburgh and Scotland. Sitting in the church, one of the things that attracted my eye on a regular basis was the fact that at the corner, 
where the ceiling and the walls met, there was a distinct crack into which water used to seep. And as a result, the paint progressively peeled. It was an interesting thing to watch over a period of months to see how it was going. Then one Sunday, all would be well. Because the church had called in plasterers and the front was beautifully restored and marvelously repainted. The fascinating thing that I noticed, having been there over a period of years, was that within a relatively short period of time, you could see a new crack opening round about the place where the old one had been. Now, I was fascinated to discover just a few years ago that the church and several houses adjoining to it were actually suffering from severe subsidence. Structural engineers had been called in, and various tests had been done. And to cut a long story short, what they discovered when they looked up the archives was that the church in which I was brought up was actually built on a disused rubbish tip. Now, I don't know what this does for one's theology, (laughs) but that was the truth. And for that reason, it appears the subsidence under not only that building, but several others in the area became a major issue that had to be addressed. The only solution, and this work has now been done at great cost, was to shore up the building to underpin it, and then in a marvelous piece of structural engineering that some of you will understand is quite beyond what I can really imagine, to underpin and to put foundations under the already existing building, new foundations under it. Now, that's a good picture to hold in your mind for today. You see, some people have a faith, but it does not rest on a very firm foundation. There's something underneath it, of course. They believe, but they are not sure what they believe, and they're certainly not very sure why they believe. If we're to think about the symptoms of this particular condition, it won't surprise you that when there is a weak foundation, there will often be instability. So that a person may move very quickly from being enthusiastically involved in some area of ministry to feeling that they are quite at a distance from any living experience of faith at all. There will also often be little evidence of the joy and freedom that normally characterize the life of a Christian. Now, I want to begin by giving six examples this morning of shaky foundations. Because it seems to me that there may be some among us who suffer from precisely this difficulty, and if we can understand it, we may be helped in the process of underpinning our faith with a fresh foundation that is going to hold us up throughout a lifetime. So let me outline for you six examples of a shaky or a deficient foundation. The first of these is very simply the church. Now, some of us have been brought up with the teaching that whatever the church teaches, that we should believe, and that the reason for believing is simply that it is the teaching of the church. Now, in that kind of authoritarian structure, of course, there is very little room for honest questions, and the result for some people can be that they sign off on a party line 
but then find it very difficult to make their faith personal. They're left saying, well, I believe it because the church teaches it. I'm not sure it makes a whole lot of sense to me, but who am I to question the church? I want to suggest that even as I describe that, it should be very evident to us that that is a deficient foundation for your life of faith and your walk with God. Secondly, a faith that rests upon a pastor. That is also a deficient foundation, the influence of a trusted leader. And we may thank God for the influence of many leaders within our lives. And it may be that there was a pastor or a leader who had great influence in the shaping and the forming of your faith. You looked up to this person, admired them. You even wanted to be like them. They were a role model for you. But now suppose some tragic scandal occurs that destroys the testimony of that pastor. Where then does that leave your faith? See, if your faith rests on the credibility of the church or on the ministry of a pastor or leader, you are going to find that at some point in your life there are distinct cracks showing in the wall of your faith because that is an insecure foundation. Most of us have met people, and there have certainly been many in this last year, who once professed to believe, but then when a national scandal rocked the church, they immediately said, well, who can believe me? I had to tell you personally, a few years ago, I was deeply distressed to learn that the man who preached the sermon that led me to Christ had become an alcoholic. I felt as if I had been robbed of something profoundly personal. Now, I have to tell you, I thank God that the faith I learned was bigger and stronger than the man I learned it from. I know the pain of being let down by a leader. But I have to say to you that if your faith rests on a leader, you have a deficient foundation, and you need to address it now, otherwise the cracks are going to appear at some point in the future. Thirdly, family. Another form of shaky foundation is when your faith simply rests on adopting what your family believes. Perhaps your parents were strong Christians. They drummed Christian teaching into you. You accepted what they said. You honored and you respected them. But then at some point perhaps in early adulthood, it occurs to you that you have never really thought about this deeply for yourself. You've always believed, but you're not really very sure why. Another example that's similar is in the area of friends. For some, the dominant influence in your coming to faith was not so much the church or a pastor or family, but, but your friends were the key influence in bringing you to faith. You became part of a group, and that's a good thing. And the group believed. And you identified both with the group and also with the group's beliefs. Then, one day, you go off to a secular university, and you find that you're in an entirely different group. And none of them believe. 
You begin to wonder then if your faith was anything more than a kind of social convention, a conforming to your previous group of friends. Now, you see, you cannot have a second-hand relationship with God deriving from your parents, from your pastor, from your church, or from your friends. God seeks a relationship with you personally. And he may use the church, the pastor, the family, the friends as a means of reaching out to you. But if your faith depends on them, then you are resting on a deficient foundation and sooner or later the cracks will appear. You cannot believe simply because someone else says so. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith with a message called Deficient Foundations, part of a series called Faith with Questions. Open the Book is supported by our listeners. If you are able to give a gift to be part of this work of £5 or more per month, we would like to send you Pastor Colin's book, Six Hours That Changed the World. To make a donation online, go to openthebible.org.uk where you can also hear any of Pastor Colin's messages this month. You can stream them online or download a free MP3. Now here's Pastor Colin continuing with Deficient Foundations. Here's the fifth deficient foundation, feelings. Now, our culture places a tremendous emphasis on feelings. Have you noticed that most marketing, if you watch the adverts, are addressed to feelings, not thinking? Whether it be a new drink or a new soap, or a new car, or a new insurance policy, the pitch is normally about how this will make you feel. So the pressure is on the church to make its pitch at that level also. I wish I had a dollar for every time I'd heard a Christian say, I know it's true because I feel it. Well, God may begin his work at any point in a personality, including your feelings. But his work must involve the whole of the personality. And the problem with resting your faith on your feelings is that there will be times when you face great darkness and when you are faced with the challenge of facing up, uh, taking up the cross that may be at times very painful. And at that point, the feelings will fade. And if there are no core convictions that form the bedrock of your faith, then you'll be lost in what I like to call a Barry Manilow kind of faith. You know what that is? I've been up, down, trying to get the feeling all around, trying to get that feeling again. Well, I tell you, there are some Christians who are living in a Barry Manilow kind of a world. If your faith rests on your feelings, you will have a deficient foundation, and eventually the cracks will begin to show. Now, many times, many times, I have heard the comment that there are approximately 18 inches between your head and your heart. And a person will usually go on to say, I had all this knowledge in my head. The problem was that it never got down into my heart. Now, there are times when that is precisely the truth. And for many people, that has been a major issue. Knowledge exceeded experience. But I want to suggest, and I want you to think about this, that that is somewhat unusual today. Christian universities report 
that incoming freshmen often have a great passion for Jesus, heart, a great passion for Jesus. But many of them are unable to pass a simple Bible knowledge test. See, the pendulum has swung. We were ministering in the age of modernism, where there was a great emphasis on rational knowledge, and it was often true a generation ago that it did need to get from the heart, the head to the heart. But the cultural pendulum has swung. The culture is always in imbalance, and today in postmodernism, the almost exclusive emphasis is on the heart and on experience. And I want to suggest to you that the great issue today, therefore, for many people in church, is not so much how do I get the truth to travel the 18 inches from the head to the heart, but how do I get the truth to travel the 18 inches from the heart to the head? For there are many among us whose foundation of faith rests primarily not in convictions derived from Scripture, but in feelings that have been experienced in the presence of God. I do not underrate the latter. I simply make the point that if that's where the foundation is, something more is needed. That leads me to one more thing that, for others, is also significant, and that's this whole area of spiritual experiences. Now, spiritual experiences, religious experiences, are very powerful because they are deeply personal. God can speak to us through experiences just as he speaks to us through churches, pastors, families, friends, and feelings. But if you build your faith on the foundation of experience— the cracks will soon begin to show. Now, there is a fascinating episode that you might like to reflect on later. It's not terribly well known, and that's from the book of Job and chapter 4. You don't need to turn to it now, but if you want to note it later, Job 4 and verse 12 is where you may want to look. The story there is about one of Job's friends. You remember his comforters who came and gave him various suggestions. One of them was a man by the name of Eliphaz. And Eliphaz seems to be a classic example of someone who bases his faith on some kind of difficult-to-describe experience. Listen to what he says in Job 4. He's had some kind of dream during the night, sort of thing that some people place great emphasis on. And he says, amid disquieting dreams in the night, when a deep sleep falls on a man, Fear and trembling seized me, this is Eliphaz, and made all my bones shake, and a spirit glided past my face, says Eliphaz, and all the hair on my body stood out on end. Now you're going to want to read the rest of the passage when you go home. This is great stuff. The problem was, he ended up being utterly misguided. Dream in the night, a spirit gliding past my face. Now, he had some kind of extraordinary spiritual experience. I'm not sure I can describe the nature of it to you or understand it. What I can tell you is that whatever happened to Eliphaz, he made it the foundation of his convictions and it misled him. Because at the end of the book of Job, you find God endorsing the faith of Job 
and saying in chapter 32 to Eliphaz, I'm angry with you and your friends because you have not spoken what is right about me. So be very careful about some kind of extraordinary spiritual experience becoming the basis of your faith. Now, this is raising an obvious question. If the foundation of faith, faith cannot rest on church or pastor or family or friends or feeling or experiences, on what should it then rest? Where is the foundation on which I can build with confidence? Where is the foundation that will not give so that the cracks will not appear? Now, to answer that question, I want to draw your attention to the story of Thomas and invite you to open your Bibles at John in chapter 20. I guess that uh, it was predictable that in any series on the subject of doubt, Thomas would have to make an appearance at some point. I have to tell you that I, I feel rather sorry for Thomas because he's only remembered for one thing, and that is his doubting of the resurrection of Jesus. And he's been dubbed with this rather unfortunate name, Doubting Thomas, which uh, always strikes me as being rather like calling someone bankrupt Billy, even though he paid off his debts 10 years ago, or fired Freddy, though he only was dismissed from his job once in his whole life. Well, Thomas has this one name that's kind of stuck to him. And I am convinced that Thomas has been given a bad press. And I want to suggest to you this morning that far from being a weak disciple, he is actually a model of Christian faith, and that that is how the scriptures present him to us. See, Thomas understood that the heart cannot embrace what the mind will not believe. And Thomas, at his core, was determined that his faith should rest on solid evidence. And that is why I say that he is far from being a weak disciple. He is actually a model of faith for you and for me. Thomas as a model of the Christian faith. We're going to spend some time on our next broadcast looking at the way that would be. So I hope you'll be able to join us. If you miss any of our broadcasts, you can always catch up online at openthebible.org.uk. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners, and if you are able to give a gift of £5 or more, we would love to send you a copy of Pastor Colin's book, Six Hours That Changed the World. Colin, what are you hoping that readers will get from this book? Oh, well, I think the first thing is to see at a deeper level just how much God really loves you. I mean, the Bible makes this very, very clear. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's what this book is about. Six hours that changed the world are the six hours that Jesus suffered hanging on the cross, and it explains what he accomplished there for us. And, you know, here's the problem. There are many people who believe that Jesus died and rose, but they don't really feel that God loves them. And maybe you can relate to that. You, you know about the cross, you know that Jesus suffered and that he died, but it's not very obvious to you how this is love. I mean, how is this God really loving me? Well, I want you to see the love of Christ in the cross and to see that this love really is for you. For you to be able to say, no one has ever loved me like this, and no one ever will love me like this. Jesus loves me and in the cross, 
I see the full extent of God's love. Pastor Colin's book, Six Hours That Changed the World, is our free gift to you if you're able to support the work of Open the Bible this month. For Pastor Colin and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick. We hope you'll be with us next time. This has been an Open the Bible listener-supported production. Is Doubting Thomas the Bible's weakling or a model of the Christian faith? Find out next time on Open the Bible.